The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, headlines from a prince's daydream at Selhurst Park as Harry defeats a palace and destroys their will. Elsewhere, Nathan Jones, you'll be gone before too long, question mark, as Saints lose again. And Mersey beats, with Liverpool defeated with ease by the Bees and Everton getting a smiting from Brighton. Friday, it's FA Cup action with Everton taking on Man United. We'll be talking about that and so much more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday, the 5th of January. Uh, listener, hello to you. Not sure where you are or what you're doing, but I hope it's all going well. I'm currently sat in the athletics. Fine-looking studio with a fine-looking Benji Lanyardo of Pickfair. Hey, Jimbo, look at us, IRL. Exactly, exactly. So close I could literally reach out and touch you. Ooh, feels good. Also here, the athletics' new January signing, Duncan Alexander. Hello. Woo-hoo. And joining us via the magic of technology, Charlie Eccleshare. Bet you're jealous, Charlie. Look at us having fun. I am. I am. I feel like I'm sort of just on the outskirts of this party looking in. All right. Well, we'll try and bring you in as much as possible. Duncan, welcome to The Athletic. Did they make you stand on a chair and sing something? Um, Not that I remember, no. So, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, been here Three days now. Three so, days, yeah. right. Did they make you do a why I joined They earnest did. They thing? did. I didn't make it too earnest. All right. Did you just put, you know, a couple of symbols and a ka-ching? Because <laughs> that's the thing. Whenever you so it's a why I joined. Um, i got to say, brilliant, obviously, brilliant score for the Athletic. But it's got to be one of the most predictable signings since uh, Nico Cranchard turned up at QPR in, in 2013 to, to, to play back <laughs> for Harry Redknapp. Right. Or, or Darren Ferguson going back to Peterborough. He's done it. He's just done it again, hasn't Fourth he? Fourth time, yeah. Yeah. Good lord. Fits like a glove. I think he's Congratulations. gonna. Congratulations. He's gonna manage um, Peterborough for as long as his dad managed Manchester United, but in like seventeen separate spells. It's gonna be good. Hmm. Very nice. Uh, your, I, I see actually on Twitter that your "Why I Joined" tweet is your new pin tweet, which is a shame because it replaced the one I really liked before, which was. Each day in the Premier League, there is one main crisis club. The goal is never to be it. Yes. And never more has that tweet been... Well, I mean, it, it's, it works every single week because now we have a big seven or eight or however you want to divide it up. There's always, there's always one of our favourite clubs in... Who, who is it this week? Because this week I would actually be hard-pressed to tell you which one. Is it Saints? Is it, is it Palace? Is it's it Everton? Liverpool, I'd say. It's Ooh, the crisis club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, Charlie? What have you got on that? Liverpool, Chelsea as well. Really? Think, crisis you know, club? And... Have you seen Everton? Have you seen oh, Saints? Far... Palace? Not... Yeah, All right. Yeah, I suppose Everton, but they're sort of perennially in crisis, it feels mm. like. Yeah, Liverpool's crapness is actually quite shocking, okay. whereas Everton's crapness and Southampton's crapness is sort of... Yeah, I think the crisis club, to give it far more importance than it deserves, mm. um, it is, yeah, you're right, it's about a kind of shocking thing that happens. Like Charlie said, Everton struggling is kind of like, all right, fair <laughs> enough. But Liverpool, I mean, they were so bad at, at Brentford. and Really bad. I mean, you know, Brentford had two goals disallowed by VAR as well. So, yeah, I think mm. at the moment, particularly also losing Van Dijk for a month or two. Yes. Let's talk about the midweek scores then. Drama on Merseyside. Liverpool beaten at Brentford, leaving them seven points off the top four. Leaving the Bees just two points behind them. Meanwhile, neighbours Everton, fresh from drawing at Man City, promptly went and lost 4-1 to Brighton. Shipping three goals in the space of three minutes like they were Brazil or something. 
London teams. Arsenal dropped points at home for the first time this season in a goalless draw with Newcastle. They're eight points clear, though, the Gunners of Man City until at least City played Chelsea on Thursday evening. Spurs beat Palace 4-0 and Leeds and West Ham drew 2-2. Also this midweek, Man United won 3-0 against Bournemouth and finally, Nottingham Forest won their first away game of the season, scoring only their second goal on the road of this campaign in a 1-0 victory at St Mary's, which represented Southampton's sixth defeat in a row. This Wednesday also marked the passing of one of football's most prominent figures in, in recent years, David Gold, a co-owner, co-chairman as well of, of West Ham, who, who passed away this week at the age of 86 after a short illness. Gold, who, who famously grew up literally across the road from the old bowling ground and also represented, and I must admit I didn't know this, represented West Ham at junior level. Benji, what, what a piece of West Ham. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's sort of disappearingly rare that, that you have a fan owning a club these days. Um, so, you know, in that respect alone, it's, he, he was quite a remarkable guy. And, you know, you could absolutely, with the sort of gold and Sullivan era, you can absolutely disapprove of, of where their money came from or their decision to, to move to the Olympic Stadium. But it, it is indisputable that where we are now is significantly better than, than where they picked us up. So I think most West Ham fans will have absolutely spent periods of time hating Golden Sullivan mm. vociferously across social media and everywhere else, but would also accept that there has been continuous progress. And yeah, uh, rest in peace. All right, and somebody who I think, as much as they might have disagreed with, some of the decisions made was doing them for what he thought was the best of the club. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the, the Olympic Stadium move was one of those things that I think you know, we just had to do. It will go down as their legacy. Um, and you might, you might hate the new stadium and have loved Upton Park, but... It was it was probably objectively the right decision to make at the time, and 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 I think you know history will probably look fondly at that decision. And as you say, in a game increasingly dominated by kind of shadowy overseas funds and that kind of thing, a man like him represented something of a. Well, it's a bit of an end of an era type. Yeah, I mean, I, we we won't get owners in the Premier League like Golden Solomon again, and and it, and and some you know their their methods are often. You know, pretty old school and pretty traditional, and uh, and at the same time, they've actually achieved quite a lot of progress f for West Ham. But yeah, but, you know, whether whether you like them or, or hate them, you know, Golden Sullivan are, are are of an era that 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 you know we won't see it again. Well, our best wishes to David Gold's family and friends. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by Live Score Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Right, midweek action. We talked about crisis clubs. What's the opposite of a crisis club, Duncan? Uh, Clover Club. Clover Club. What, mm. Who's your Clover Club of this midweek? Is it Brentford, perhaps? I mean... Or Brighton? Yeah. Or Spurs? Yeah, or Manchester United, maybe. Ooh. There's lots of Clover. Unusual for early January. It doesn't really grow in... Uh, Is that right? I've had it as a perennial. But do get on to the football. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, yeah, Brentford, obviously. But that's the opposite of the crisis club, isn't it, I guess? So, I mean, Brighton continue to impress. They just looked, you know, really, really solid again and, and took Ever Everton apart. But yeah, I think probably Spurs is the one, given given they were probably really? the crisis club coming into this week. All oh, right, um, Charlie, I, I want to ask you about this because the first half, had you met a Spurs fan who'd left at half time, as they might have felt justified in doing, and, and had to explain to them how a 4-0 Spurs victory came about, <laughs> what, what would you tell them? 
Well, scoring first, it turns out, is quite a helpful thing to do. Obviously, they hadn't done that in their previous 10 games. It was a weird, It was a really weird game because the first half, certainly the second half of the first half, Palace were well on top, um, very nearly scored. Looked like they were going to and you kind of felt, well, here we go. Spurs are going to go behind and they're going to have to come back. They did play with a lot more intensity in the second half and they've got a world-class striker in Harry Kane whose form has been sensational this season. Obviously, because of Erling Haaland, we haven't really talked about it all that much, but he just produced two moments of quality that they hadn't been in the game up to that point. Palace hadn't taken their chances. And then from there, Palace capitulated a bit. Um, and it is a reminder, and what's been so frustrating for Tottenham is how good they are when in front, because they like teams to attack them so they can hit the space in behind. And that's what happened, you know. And we haven't seen Spurs be able to do this since... They played Everton in October. That was the last time they'd been ahead um, yeah. or gone ahead, got, scored the first goal. So, yeah, it opened up for them. And then they've, they've got clinical players. Obviously, Son finally scored, ending his drought. Um, and they looked like they just had suddenly a lot more confidence. They also had the second start of the season for Brian Hill, who looked Bernardo Silveresque there in midfield. He looks like, he, with, with his floppy hair, he looks like a, an artist's impression of David Silver. And they're, they're nice. a, they were little, they were little sort of. There were there were moments where he looked fantastic. Uh, is it is this is he going to be a fixture now for the rest of the season, Charlie? Mm, ish. I mean, Kudelski will go straight back into the team once he's fit. But it does at least mean that if Kudelski's out, which he has been for a lot of the season, hopefully they have someone who can come in and shoulder some of that creative burden because. He, he had a good cameo in the Champions League and people, a lot of Spurs fans were saying, well, you know, give this guy a chance. And he didn't get that chance. This was kind of back before the World Cup. Obviously now things have got so desperate, really, that Conte hasn't had any other option. And he is a really, really gifted player. And when they signed him, there was a lot of excitement. I remember speaking to people in Spain who were like, this this guy is really, really gifted. Um, and he's got a really good attitude. He, he is lightweight. You can see that. But he puts a shift in. So th- this is long overdue that he's had this sort of impact. And I think there's always been a suspicion, justifiably, because Conte has said as much. Conte let him go on loan for the second half of last season and more or less said, this guy's not ready for the Premier League. Um, but you could see it made such a difference to him getting that assist for Kane's second. He then, he wanted to be on the ball. He was trying to make things happen. Whereas I think, understandably, he's looked a little bit inhibited and just sort of recycled and not really taking players on which is which is what he's really good at all right uh, spurs have an interesting fixture list coming up portsmouth in the fa cup this weekend it's the third round of course then the north london derby conte talking about potentially richarlison kolosevsky and, and bentanko being back for that as it is spurs two points off third place yeah it's extraordinary when you think that newcastle are being hailed, you know, rightly so, as having this brilliant season and being in the title race. And they're a crisis club up until last night. Spurs, a mere two points behind them. It it does feel very, very odd. And obviously a lot of that has been because, as has been well documented, results have generally been a lot better than performances for Tottenham. But they are still, they're very much in that top four hunt. They came from further back last season. And as you say, getting those players back will be massive. And And I think, you know, it's become frowned upon almost to complain about injuries because it's tedious and everyone has to deal with them. But there are just times where teams get affected particularly badly. And I think Spurs certainly have missed Kulusevski big time this season. He's a player they really struggle to replace. 
Benton Core's massive for them. So, and Richarlison's been very stop-start. So that would make a massive difference to them if they start to get those players back. Mm. I also think people have sort of forgotten what it's like to have a season when most teams are dropping points quite a lot. I mean, even City have dropped points in five games. Um, you yeah. know, Arsenal are the only team really who haven't done it very much, which no one, no one saw coming. But you know, they're in the in the 40s for points. Um, you know, we've had seasons recently when we've had two teams streaking away like that. Now we've just got a really big, you know, mass probably down to even Brighton and Brentford, um, who are you know within striking distance of the top four. So. It's it all goes well for the rest of the season, to be honest. Mm. Spurs then back in Clover. What about Brentford then, Duncan? And Tuesday night, three-one bullying of Liverpool. A scenes after the final whistle, when the DJ dropped "Free from Desire," a gala <laughs> track, mm. and everybody just went limbs, as they say. Even the Sky presentation team with the possible yeah. exception of Jamie Carragher. Yeah, he'd done it in a previous game, hadn't he, I think, when they when they smashed Manchester United. So, you know, what goes around. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I remember going to Brentford a lot as a Wickham fan um, when there were fewer fans and they didn't dance in the game. So, you know, it's not it's not been a permanent thing, but, you know, they're having a, having a very good season, a very good kind of era. Um, and they tore Liverpool to bits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Liverpool just looked terrified. Um, there was a good piece on The Athletic um, from Ahmed about how... Yeah, the, see yeah, him straight see? away in there yeah. with the plugs. <laughs> well, there you go, contractual. Yeah, but um, no, but it was looking at the corner routines that Brentford do. And, you know, they've obviously exported um, set-piece coaches to other clubs across the, across the division. And they're just so good at it. And, you know, with their... They they mix it up. It's almost getting to like NFL levels of they they've got so many little routines at their sleeve that they can trick trick opposition the opposition and and that's what happens to Liverpool. They just looked completely baffled. They had the ball in the net four times in the first half. Only two of those were given. They had more good shots than Pickfair, Benji. Actually, that's not true because <laughs> Pickfair have literally tens of thousands of great millions, shots of millions, millions, millions. Right. Uh, Brentford are amazing. I think it's one of the great sort of truisms of football that when a team is more than the sum of its parts then that's down to the manager and you know ultimately you look at their lineup it's unexceptional and they are playing top class premier league football and their lineup in this game without top scorer Ivan mm. Tony is they extended their unbeaten run to six games a series of matches in which uh, they have beaten Manchester City drawn with Spurs and what well, one at your friend's West Ham oh then they'll they'll probably do it again this weekend in the cup but, and Wisser I, I really like him I think that he if we assume that Tony's going to be out at some stage for a while I think he's the, he's a pretty natural replacement even though he's a completely different player they played with essentially two up front with him and, and Buemo and Liverpool couldn't handle it and I je- I found in that game I found myself looking at Klopp looking like he'd sort of running run, run out of ideas mm. looking at Frank and thinking this guy is absolutely one of the best managers potentially in Europe at the moment, and wondering whether he could end up at Liverpool, because he's got that sort of Klopp energy about him. Uh, it, w- it would not surprise me. And Liverpool, honestly, it, it's sort of startling. You can, say the same, you can say the same with Chelsea, that these were Champions League winners within the last two, three years, and they are suddenly like really subprime, aren't they? They're not well, yeah, good. they were in for that quadruple last season, and, mm. and the question is whether that has maybe taken its toll, because certainly free from desire might be a bit of a commentary on some of the Liverpool players' performance, would yeah. you say? I mean, Liverpool, this is what, their second meltdown season in three, given that, that the lockdown the lockdown year, again, they suffered that post-winning the league hangover. Um, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. I mean, they did, they did sort of recover then and finish third, got Champions League. Champions League qualification looking ropey, and that could be massive in the Jude Bellingham saga. Mm. 
one of the factors in that bad run that you mentioned before was when Virgil van Dijk got injured, if I'm mm. recalling correctly. And, oh, my word, he was taken off at half-time here. His performance hadn't been great, but it turns out there is a an ongoing hamstring injury. Not surprisingly, after the amount of action he's been seeing, a recent fifth pro study, indeed, showed that of all the players in the 32 World Cup squads, Van Dijk has actually played the most minutes for club and country since the start of last season. He's going to be out for a while. He's not going to be playing many minutes for a while. Yeah, at least at least six weeks, maybe even longer. Um, and I think you know Charlie makes the good point there about the the meltdown season two years ago. It is it is strange. You know, Liverpool already conceded fifty one big chances this season, like clear cut chances. Um, how, how many would you expect them to? Well, last last season they only conceded fifty three in the whole. So they're season. two behind that. Twenty eighteen nineteen when they came second, but a lot of Liverpool fans would say that they were actually better that season than they were the following season when they did win the league. Um, they only let him for, conceded 41 all season, but the, the meltdown season after they won the league in 2020-21, they uh, allowed 82. And that's basically, they're on course to, well, do more than that this season. And it, it, it's kind of the same issue. It's not exactly the same issue because I don't think they'll miss Van Dijk as much as they did then, but it is the defence has stopped working and it's just so easy to get through. And the number of one-on-ones that they're allowing is just... Is insane, and and Van Dijk sort of whisper it. He's he's not the same Van Dijk as as, as we had in that Champions League winning season, in the Premier League winning season. He he is a lot more vulnerable. He certainly looks a lot more vulnerable than he used to. You see players going past him fairly regularly now, and that mm. famously didn't happen for ages yeah. and ages. Or you know the core of that team, the core sort of like elite assets are on the decline. I think he's on the decline. I think that um, Fabinho, who, who was arguably one of the best um, defensive midfielders in Europe for a couple of years, um, he's on the decline. Salah, post-new big contract, he's not quite the same player. Like I, I just don't think they're as scary, anywhere near as scary as they have been over the last few years. They could be about to unveil Cody Gakpo. And I know a lot of people say, well, their issues in midfield. But as we've seen with Spurs, eh, Charlie? One informed striker can cover a, a multitude of, of sins elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as well, and talked about this at the start of the season, losing Sadio Mane, I, I do still think that was a little bit underestimated at the time, how massive that was. Um, and yeah, we should say as well, I mentioned before with Spurs and injuries, clearly Liverpool have had pretty rough luck there. But yeah, to Benji's point, they feel like they're in that transitional period um, where th- they're moving from one thing to the next. A lot of those players, Fabinho is a great example. I mean wow, that guy used to be so good, so effective at stopping counters and allowed them to play in the opposition half, you know, and they had Van Dijk as well and they could they could take those risks. They just can't really do that anymore. They look too vulnerable. The key thing though with this, when you're making that transition is that you keep qualifying for the Champions League, you know, even if you're not winning titles or even competing for titles. And that that that's the problem that they face. Um Again, you know, once they start getting players back, maybe it's a different picture. I mean, Gakpo, I'm really curious to see because he, I don't think scoring those goals in the World Cup against opposition that's probably going to be inferior to what Liverpool are playing most weeks, um, you know, shifts the dial that much. Although he, um, he was having an amazing season at PSV he, before. He, he was, he yeah. was. And I think that, but that that's more significant because I think he, he was someone who a lot of clubs looked at um, previously di- didn't quite push on to go for so it's it, it will be really interesting to see if he has kicked on um, and how quickly he can slot in you know whether because I think I, ideally he, they'd phase him in and I, and, and I think the issue there is that you can't really rebuild your side over a, around a um, you know some a guy that might be a second choice centre forward it, to, to Jimbo's point I think it, it shows 
the 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 Jude, you know Jude Bellingham could be critical for Liverpool because you you can see, you can build a team around Jude Bellingham, um, you know shoving lots of you know attacking options into your squad doesn't feel like a an identity, a, a rebuild, a transition because otherwise I'm not sure what this transition is. Where's it going? Is it being built? What's it being built around? Well, yeah, you look at the squad and it's the if all the players are fit, which is a you know a big ask, but they've got Diaz, they've got. Diogo Jota, which just gets forgotten about, you know, he should be back soon. And then just a multitude of other players. I think people do need to remember that when teams are transitioning, you will have some bad seasons. Like Manchester United, mm. before they started winning the league Fair again enough, yeah. in the mid-2000s, the, the couple of seasons before that, Ronaldo's first couple of seasons there and, and Wayne Rooney's first season, United were terrible. But to Charlie's point, they did still manage to sneak into the Champions League, which kept them ticking over. But you're not going to get... The, you know, the seasons like Liverpool had last season and, and 2019-20 every year. But I think some fans do forget that a little bit. That you know, you're transitions right. happen. Uh, but does Klopp still have the vim? That's the thing. They're like, you look at the teams that Klopp started with and they're really bad. You know, they're so average. You've got players like, you know, Joe Allen playing for Liverpool. And he managed to go... For, and he's a good player, but he's not an elite Champions League player. Been in the European final more recently than Lionel Messi, to be fair to Joe Allen. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, but in terms of where he, the, the, the journey he took that team on... That required a huge amount of energy and right. time. And can, I'm not sure I can see him doing has it again. A, has, has he got that recipe? Can he bake that cake again? I hear what you're saying. That's probably enough Liverpool chat, though, because there's other clubs knocking at the door. Clubs like Everton. If Liverpool were free from desire, Everton took four from Deserby. We'll talk about that next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Oh, and that's short from Idrissa Gay. And a chance to race clear for Pascal Gross. It's an impudent finish. It's four for Brighton. 
It's an absolute disaster for Everton. Yeah, Brighton 4-1 winners at Goodison Park on Tuesday. Colin Miller pointing out, you'll enjoy this, Duncan, that Brighton have now scored almost as many goals on Merseyside this season as Everton have. They've had seven, the Seagulls, Everton with eight. Hmm. Wow. Four of those seven coming in this match. First time that Brighton have ever scored four goals in a top flight away game. And it's also their first time ever having three straight wins on the road. Three of these goals coming in the space of six minutes. And a kind of remarkable firestorm of freewheeling seagull action. Duncan, what impressed you? Uh, Matoma again. Yeah. I mean, he obviously had a, a really good World Cup. And, you know, I think that's now f- he's scored in four of his last five games. Yeah. He just looks amazing. Like he plays his dribbling, some of the best dribbling we've seen in the Premier League for a long time, I think. And he's just he adds such a sort of directness to Brighton's play, which which really helps them. Um, the young striker Ferguson as well. I mean, pr- pretty on the nose for Everton to get bashed <laughs> around by a striker called Ferguson. But, <laughs> but there we go. But he's apparently, you know, talked up in Ireland as this as one of you know their next great player. And um, you know, almost the one thing everyone feared was Brighton getting a good striker. And uh, and here we here we might be. There's a great line from um, Kieran Maguire, the Price of Football guy, on, on Twitter that Brighton's four goal scorers, Matoma, Ferguson, March, and Gross, cost five point six million pounds between them. Oof. Which is, which is incredible. And the scary thing, again, is that Brighton are, are amazing at um, finding these players like Mitoma. Um, but now their academy is starting to contribute as well with Ferguson. So, yeah, what a club. Yeah, what a club indeed. I mean, wasn't there a thing, wasn't there a thing as well that Alex Iwobi cost around the same as the, Bright, the whole Brighton team for this game? And, and I do think Brighton are... I, I find it frustrating sometimes when you, you find managers people talking about clubs and saying, oh, but, you know, the players just aren't good enough and, you know, naming players with disdain. And then you, you look at Brighton and their players, you know, a year or two ago, a lot of these players, you'd be saying the same thing, but it's about how you coach them, how you develop them, and also finding people like Matoma before you have to spend 60, 70 million on them. You know, that's kind of the skill and the, the way they've been able to do that. And then, you know, you, you look at some of the guys who scored, I don't think Solly March is a player who many top Premier League teams would be really excited about, but he's playing exceptionally well, scores, scored a really nice goal in this game. Um, and it, it's just great to see that, you know, with everything stacked against them, you know, when you look at sort of the biggest clubs in the league, the richest clubs, that they can still punch above their weight to this extent. Although the richest clubs tend to get their revenge. Am I right in saying that the people, the architects of all that great scouting and, and transfer business have now done one to Chelsea with Graham Potter? Yeah, for the time being. For the time um, being. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, the only thing you can take in caution to that is that I remember similar things being said about Swansea when they were in the Premier League. Mm. You know, they play really good football. They, they were able to sell players to bigger clubs and replace them with similar players. And do, But eventually, you know, that cycle does come to an end. And um, so, yeah, enjoy it, Brighton fans. But they cycle didn't, have, do. Mm, okay. they didn't have the m- kind of moneyball arbitrage owner styly type people up there mm. did they I mean, they had a bit yeah not not to this extent but I mean I do think we are seeing also a bit of a shift of you know like clubs Bournemouth to an extent Brighton Brentford as we've talked about today you know they really are they do things in the right way and, and like we said you know they're getting players who aren't the biggest stars to perform way above their supposed natural level but football is a team game and it and it always will be wise words Duncan the team that Brighton will be facing on Saturday at 3 o'clock in that FA Cup are Middlesbrough. Ooh, Middlesbrough on fire, literally, at the moment under their new manager, Michael Carrick. He's taking them from 21st. They were languishing in 21st in the Championship in October. They're now 5th. 5th. Wow. 
As for Everton, they're not fifth. They're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, oh my goodness, 18th. 18th in the Premier League. How, how did this game happen just one week after they'd managed to hold City to that 1-1 draw with a tremendously disciplined performance? And, and now here they are getting whomped 4-1 by, by, by Brighton. Are there any, any conclusions we can draw from that? Well, all I'd say is I do think that City game was a bit of a freak. I think they had their XG was something like 0.08 Everton, which was literally the grey goal. Um, and they did well, but it's a very different challenge sitting everyone behind the ball, being organised and hoping you get the luck, which they did. You know, on another day, City might score two, three, four. Right. That's a different challenge to then, can you get the balance right against a team like Brighton with attacking them, but also not leaving yourself too vulnerable and that was a challenge way beyond them. Correct. I mean, they did score possibly one of the most consolation goals ever <laughs> in Premier League history. The, the, the last shot of the game, a penalty, which, you know, I literally, the, one of the quietest cheers you'll ever hear for a goal. More boos than cheers, I think, as it went in. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're letting three goals in five minutes, six seconds, then uh, at Goodison Park. The saddest line from this game I was listening on the radio was uh, in the match report, they said that, Actually, there weren't that many boos at full time because most people had left. So there, wasn't, there weren't even enough people there to really make their point with a big old boo. Well, among the people heading out the door could well be Frank Lampard. A lot of talk that this weekend's clash with Manchester United in the FA Cup could represent his, uh, the last roll of the dice for Frank. One win in the last 11 in all competitions for Everton. We'll talk about the FA Cup uh, soon enough. Elsewhere, though, in the Premier League this midweek, Benji, your West Ham. A thrilling 2-2 draw away at Leeds. What was bigger, the point one or the two points dropped? No, the point one. I think there were lots of positives in this game for West Ham, especially for Moyes, because the prevailing debate this season is, is, is has been sort of two apparently conflicting arguments. They're actually just both true. You know, argument one, David Moyes is the best West Ham manager of the last 30 years. Um, it, what he's achieved in the last couple of seasons, consecutive entries into a European competition, even if one of them has been recently made up, has never happened before. Um, you know, and, and, and that's largely down to him with an average squad. However, you know, argument two, so far this season, we've been So why is West Ham's best manager of the last 30 years unable to get a better tune out of this side? So the, the kind of obvious theories are that David Moyes is fantastic when he's got an average squad to work with. He will make, he will create a team that is more than the sum of its parts, as sort of previously discussed. Um, once he gets given a better squad and a higher calibre of player, and we have indisputably done that this over the summer, um, he, he, he is, is slightly um, less comfortable. And actually, the, the reason there were lots of positives from last night is that our three sort of major signings from the summer were all great. Like this was Pakitar's best game for West Ham. And he showed the kind of aggression that I think he isn't he isn't sort of fully credited for because he's got all that all the technique which is often a bit superfluous actually he's a sort of flary player but he was really he's all over the pitch last night Skamaka yeah it scored really nicely I still think that there's a bit of the sort of Sebastian Haller about him in that I think he's probably a great striker I'm not sure he'll work in the Premier League um, but Aguered he, he he looks really solid we saw at the World Cup and this was the first time the three of them have played together so, and we were actually seeing that, the, 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 you know, when, when a new player joins a club, I think it's 50% the player. Are they, are they good enough? Are they, are they um, adaptable enough to, 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 to fit the new club? And it's 50% the club being able to, to kind of blend them in. And that's the bit that we failed at this year. And, and, and last night, I thought there were some, there were some, some positives there. Um, Leeds, by the way, 
They're good. Wilfred Nyonto, which mm. is one of the most satisfying names to say, Nyonto. I think, in the in, in the Premier League. Like Gnocchi. Mm. Yeah. Gno- Wilfred Nyonto, who's, who's already an Italy international. We're talking about like really savvy signings. They got him for like three million pounds or something mm. over the summer from the Swiss League. You know, him and Somerville are two of the most exciting young players in, in the Premier League, although Somerville should not have been on the pitch after... Oh, do his, you think? Oh, my God. They didn't show this in the highlights, which was no, really annoying. This. When um, So he so he basically put in a kind of retaliatory... Is that a word? Re- yeah. He put in a retaliatory, you know, horror challenge on Soufali to sort oh, of yeah. wound him up. No, they right? did show that. But what they didn't show oh. is when Soufali got subbed off because he'd been hurt and he's knackered and old... Um, he rolled his sock down and you could see the bloodied imprint of Somerville's foot just below his knee. And I was thinking, Sue Fowler, why didn't you get your knee out for VAR when when when, when um, they were sort of reviewing the challenge? Because honestly, Somerville has absolutely knee got away AR. with that. <laughs> um, no, anyway, that leads leads knee good. Mm. Leads good, Somerville naughty. So I, I must admit, I only saw the highlights of this, Benji, but from them it did seem like Leeds were substantially the better side. Their goals were really quite sexy, as opposed to West Ham's, which were a, a penalty and b an entirely gifted goal. Yes, Leeds's goals were lovely. Yeah, um, and they they were probably better for the first twenty minutes than the last twenty minutes. And West Ham were, were the better in, in between. Okay. The draw, draw, I think, was draw's fair, the fair yeah. result. Really good game though. Real sort of rip snorter. Okay, you've got uh, Brentford away in the FA Cup on Saturday. You're going along. Brentford, of course, the team who beat you what two nil last weekend in the Premier League. Yep, they'll probably beat us again. But it's the Cup, so we're taking sort of three, 4,000 down there. Never been to the GTEC, quite excited by that. Um, more excited about um, dinner in Chiswick afterwards. Which we, Where are you going? I think we well, I think we've booked a place called Annie's. I was just going to say, you're going to Annie's? Oh, ICF. what's Annie's? Is it good? <laughs> I would, uh, that was the first place that came to mind when you, because there's, there's other places, that the very posh French one. What's that? Is, it's got a Michelin star in that. Has it? I, yeah. don't, I don't think you can do West Ham away game followed by Michelin star. Listener, Charlie just took out a long chat about Annie's <laughs> restaurant. But um, yeah, if you're curious, why not go along and uh, see for yourself? Uh, now, ooh, what's this? Nottingham Forest winning away for the first time this season, scoring a goal on the road for only the second time this season. Mind you, they were playing at Saints, a game in which there was only one shot on target and it was Forest goal. Sounds like fun. Was there much to report from this, Duncan? Well, Southampton were very, very bad. Um, that's four defeats in a row. That's looking pretty... Teams at the bottom of the league this season have tended to do quite well. They've, there's been a lot of wins by the bottom team, but Southampton kind of look like they're, they're settling in for a good old stretch. But Forest, I mean, you know, everyone wrote them off. That's uh, all four wins this season, 1-0. Three of them with one you getting the, the winner as well. So that, that's working. Obviously, the Emmanuel Dennis one, less mm. so. Um, but yeah, I think for Forest, I mean, as we said, it's their first away win in the Premier League since the week that Jamie Oliver uh, launched Ty Green Curry on the Naked Chef in 1999, which is a quite a seminal moment for the was UK. It? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Why, why was that seminal? Everyone started making Ty Green Curry for what a year. Did he invent really? Ty Green Curry? He didn't invent it, but he he did it <laughs> on the telly, and everyone was like, "Oh, yeah." They've not been winning on the road, but they've only had one defeat in their last seven in all competitions, home and away. And only one in the last five in, in the Premier League, uh, Forest, as they climb out of the bottom three. They're up now in 15th place. Everton dropping into the relegation zone. West Ham, Benji, still only goal difference outside it. As for Saints, who are rock bottom and three points from safety, widespread suggestions that Nathan Jones is already hanging on by his fingernails, which in his case, of course, will be tricky on account of 
his habit of biting them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he obviously had a very difficult spell at Stoke when he left Luton the first time and then went back to Luton and may- maybe he just works well in Luton, um, <laughs> like EasyJet. Um, <laughs> and so, its destinations. Also Gatwick. Yeah, right. Other, other I'm not sure it went well in Luton. Yeah, right, yeah, fine. But um, yeah, I mean, it's we have seen, obviously, in recent seasons, clubs make numerous managerial changes during the campaign you know like Fulham have done it made a habit of it not this season uh, I wouldn't think but you know go through three managers in a single season so it's not unheard of but Watford yeah well yeah Watford do it in a month so uh, but um yeah so I think he probably is under a bit of pressure already yeah with Forrest as well what I'm confused as to what we what we would learn if if um Forrest turn out to you know stay up and have done the right thing because mm. like we the lesson with Fulham a couple of years back was whatever you do don't buy loads of random players and throw them together because that won't work. And now Forrest have bought loads of random players, thrown them together, and it's sort of starting to work. I think the lesson is that Steve Cooper's a really good manager yeah, because he obviously enough. took yeah, him yeah. all the way up the championship last season. He basically got an entirely, an entirely not new team, a new squad at the start of the season. Um, and obviously it took him a month or two to, to get up and running, but now they're looking all right. I mean, you, you wonder, he probably doesn't want them to sign loads more players in January, I would think. Apparently they're going to, well. says uh, Forest fan Nick Miller. Well, let's take advantage of the fact that for once we've got no Forest fans in to move on mm. from that club and talk about some of the other action. Also this midweek, before we get onto the FA Cup, you had Arsenal, Newcastle, nil-nil. Villa won, Wolves won and Fulham beating Leicester 1-0 away. Crikey. That's their third win in three. Very nice. They're only goal difference behind Liverpool in sixth place. There you go. And they've equaled their tally from 38 games in their last Premier League season. And two more. From, Already. Two more than they got in the last time they were up before that. So it's going well. I mean, they've kind of been overlooked a little bit because of your Brentfords and your Brightons. But it's, you know, I think, you know, if Forest are looking good, I think Bournemouth have got enough to stay up probably and Fulham as well. So we could mm. be looking for a relatively rare all three promoted teams staying up season. Mm. Right. And Chelsea third best side in West London at the mm. moment. How about that? Chelsea, of course, go on Thursday evening against Man City. Aston Villa's game with Wolves saw them come from behind after Daniel Podensi opened things up for the visitors. Danny Ings with the equaliser there. What, what about Arsenal-Newcastle? I found it oddly thrilling, this game. Arsenal's attempts to break the deadlock, but goalless it remained. Newcastle were very... I mean, we've come to expect this level of sort of doggedness and housing, for want of a better word, but they were extraordinary in both senses. I mean, they really put in a shift and clearly they were committed to frustrate in every way that they possibly could. I mean, it was almost like Simeone Atletico at times. I mean, there was one period where clearly before the game, they decided they were going to go down, take the sting out of the game, you know, because there's not really, you know, you know when a team's building up ahead of steam, wins a corner or wins a few throw-ins and the crowd's up. If you then go down, you, you do take the sting out of the game and there's nothing that can really get that back like once the momentum's gone it, it, it's sort of gone and you and you never really get that time back and there was a point at which th- not one not two but three of their players went down injured and you <laughs> kind of thought that's maybe making it a little <laughs> bit obvious that this is premeditated um but they you know they were really good they defended brilliantly and arsenal had nothing attacking wise off the bench um you know they've got some injuries there and, you know, the, the only sub they could bring on was Tommy Asu for Ben White. You know, straight sub at, at right back probably wasn't 
what was hopeful, but they didn't they didn't have anything. And um, you know, they still almost nicked it. Pope made a great save from Inketia. Um, there were a couple of penalty yeah, it, it, shots it, it, as well. The, yeah, the- there were. And I think the, the pull on Gabriel just that was a penalty. Um a bit odd you know we're, we're told that the bar has has been raised now for intervention but i think the consensus seemed to be that it, it should have there should have been an intervention there but i think that it's it's not a disaster for Arsenal. you know they, they extend their lead but i think they would have nicking that game would have would have been massive for their belief mm. howard webb behind that raising of the bar encouraging a more lenient attitude from referees which you know if, it, if it's going to mirror his officiating of the 2010 World Cup common sense. <laughs> all we want is common sense and now everyone's going actually no um, Kung Fu kicks consistency <laughs> and yeah and violence um, no I mean look Eddie Howe was born in Amersham which is very near Wickham Wickham are the unrivaled masters of this uh, the dark arts in current English football and I mean I, I saw a lot of similarities there I mean mm. that I, and I don't, I don't you know I might be biased because I follow a team that, that does it quite a lot but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing I think a bit like you have pantomime villains in, in pantomimes you, you kind of need <laughs> you need so, you need that I think you kind of need that little bit of you know, I totally, I totally, yeah. I loved that the, the back Newcastle's back five were brilliant in that game, and they did everything, they did everything you need to do to stop a really good side from playing. Around. And Dan Byrne, by the way, I like, I will never not find Dan Byrne as a left back weird. Yeah, but second club in a row now, he's he's doing, it. and and it, you know, he you look at this game all the time advanced. as well, which I so, like. He's always laughing. Yeah, like, he's a real character. Just chuckling away. He's like, a character. Over, over and he, he stopped Bukayo Saka. Like if you'd looked at this game in advance, it'd be like, right, okay, that's going to be a problem for Newcastle. Saka up against Burn, but Burn won. The you know fair chops to the big man. It's really, it's, it's great. Very nice. Celebrating Saka overran the ball, went for a goal kick, and Burns celebrated yeah, it. You yeah, know, yeah. as if he'd scored. Yeah, Brilliant. I mean, and he, he said afterwards, which is true. Uh, Joe Linton helped him out massively with with how hard he worked, and that has been a thing with Newcastle. They all work so incredibly hard. I mean, Saka got the beating of of him a few times, Burn, but um, yeah, overall he he played really well. Okay, how significant do you think that those drop points is? This the beginning of Arsenal's lead crumbling. They, they they go a point further ahead of Man City, ahead of the Chelsea game Thursday evening. I mean, even if City beat Chelsea later today, they'll still they'll be five points behind, which historically at this stage of the season should should be enough for Arsenal. I mean, there have been meltdowns in that position, but they tend to be rarer. I mean, I think obviously the next game is huge, isn't it, in the in the Premier League because it's Spurs away. I mean, if they lost that and City did, it, it, there is the potential. But they Arsenal made such a good start that. They're in the position to be able to, to bring this home. Can we all just now say it's theirs to lose? Mm. Like that, that is the situation with Arsenal. And also, I think if we, the more we say that, the more likely they are to bottle it, it as well. It, which, Benji, <laughs> you're taking a perverse delight in the idea. Not at all, Jimbo. It's oh, very right. much the same kind of feeling as that Leicester season, isn't it? Where they kept winning and you're like, well, they can't actually win the league. And then it gets to the point you're like, they might be with a chance to win the league. Let me just say something nice about Arsenal because they are their their team is actually really predictable at the moment. I know we talked about how they didn't have much off the bench, but uh-huh. I think that's a real strength in Arsenal. Like you can name their team pretty much every week, whereas City have always got to make these decisions, and they mm-hmm. and there's this kind of uncertainty there. But again, like Leicester, that Leicester team was exactly in the league right. that had, you knew had the eleven players every week. Exactly right. I agree. Fair enough. Well, plenty of time indeed thus left for us in weeks to come to discuss the title race. Next up, let's shift ahead to this weekend with the third round of the FA Cup. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. FA Cup third round, everybody. Are you excited? I am. 32 matches. There's non-league teams. There's all Premier League clashes. There's all sorts of stuff. Probably the headline clash is Man United against Everton. And that's actually the game which kicks off the third round of the Venerable Cup. Friday at 8 o'clock, Man United-Everton, which was twice an FA Cup final, back when it really mattered as well. 1985. Ooh, what's that I'm hearing? For Harcastle's no, 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 19, which was number one at the time, as these two teams met at Wembley in a game which saw the first ever red card in a final. McGrath. Oh, mistake by McGrath. And the through here. Oh! Well, Reid has been brought down by Kevin Moran. And that has to be a booking at the very least. And is he is going to be sent off or not? It looks as though Peter Willis is going to send Kevin Moran off. It was a wonder win for. Man United, even after Kevin Moran got sent off for that that challenge, the first one ever to see a player red-carded, Duncan. Yeah, and I just remember as a kid, that was, uh, I don't remember the final, but I remember people, the fact there'd been a red card in an FA Cup final was seen as this this horrible thing that brought the nation to its knees. It's a bit like Ray Wilkins getting sent off in the 1986 yeah. World Cup. It was like, how can this happen? How can this, the Corinthian spirit has gone? gone? Now, yeah. I mean, if there isn't a red card within the first 10 minutes, I'm turning it off. <laughs> and, and it really was a red card, although the, the pundits at the time were, were, were pretty shocked that it should be sanctioned to that degree. But he really, he really took out P- Peter Reid. The two teams met 10 years later and Everton got their revenge and again, a 1-0 win. Paul Rideout with the only goal in, in, that, uh, in that match for Joe Raw's side. That was, Everton fans will know, the last time they won a trophy. What do you envisage happening this time around as Man United and Everton meet Friday night? Do you anticipate a lot of changes from Frank Lampard after that was seen as a significant blow to his, his uh, stature, his status at, at Everton when he did that in the League Cup against Bournemouth? 
I, th- I think for teams that are in a bit of trouble, and I include West Ham in this, the FA Cup now, you, you have to deprioritise, I think. You've got to play the B team and, and, and you know, focus on the Premier League game the week after. So, yeah, lots of changes. Uh, West Ham, we've got the, you know, the big one as well, the Europa Conference League coming up, um, returns in, in, in March. So, we need, I think really our focus needs to be on that rather than this little FA Cup thing. Okay. I mean, we were talking about Bournemouth and Man United. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Man United, who we haven't touched on their, their game on Tuesday, it was a 3 0 win over Bournemouth as Man United picked up their sixth win in a row in all competitions. Ever since that, that derby defeat, they've been on fire, Charlie. Yeah, that Man United are interesting. Like They are going under the radar a little bit, as, as the cliche goes. I mean, they're joint with Newcastle. They've got joint points. They've got a game in hand with regards to them. So they, they, they're they building up some momentum and they look like they've got a pretty settled side. Rashford's playing really well, um, scoring a lot of goals. I think Casemiro has unsurprisingly been a brilliant signing. He's come in and really elevated them. Christian Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes are, are in good form. So I think they're, they're, you know, they're nine points off Arsenal. And the question now for them is, are they, is it about sort of consolidating, trying to cling on to a top four place or do do they have the potential to go even higher? You know, if we're talking about Newcastle as being in a in in that scrap for the title, well, United could go three points clear of them if they win their game in hand. Mm. All right, Everton meanwhile in a very different state of affairs, and Benji, you saying they should uh, they should take the hit and focus on their uh, their their issues at, at the bottom end of the Premier League. But Frank Lampard, does he have that the luxury of that choice? As I say, there, there's all sorts of word that they might be looking to replace him if things go badly. In this match, who's out there though? I, I was thinking, watching Wayne, Wayne Rooney. Yeah, but yeah, it's not that would be just the same sort of decision again. I was thinking with, with, well, I was thinking with Villa. They both managed Derby County, but I would say, uh, but just sort of Rooney good, more spectacularly, no? Elite former player rather than elite manager. I was thinking watching Villa with that they look so much better, right? With um, Unai Emery, and I do wonder if he was the last. The best possible manager for a non-Champions League club out but there. But they've tried a Spanish fella there. They had Rafa Benitez. That didn't work either. Yeah. Who's, who had a better record at this stage than Lampard does now? Well, so... so yeah. Pategi also going to Wolves. I mean... Agreed. They, they are running out of those options. No, they, and I thought Wolves looked better as well. But I think, yeah... Mm. If, I mean... Everton have waited too long, maybe. Sean Dyche has been linked and, you know, with McNeil's there and Tarkovsky's there as a sort of vanguard, you know, go and, go and warm it up, lads. But, mm. um... But... Would that is he the right person for Everton? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. I would love it if he was, because I think you you worry with Sean Dyche that he's like you know a bit like Nathan Jones. Like Dyche only works in Burnley, whereas Jones only works in Luton. But I'd like to see what Dyche at another club looks like because he's clearly a good manager. Would you like to see what Dyche looked like at West Ham? Benji? No, no thanks. All right then. <laughs> Elsewhere in the FA Cup this weekend, that Friday night game between Man United and Everton is on TV. Excitingly. The other ones you can watch on television are Saturday's Sheffield Wednesday against Newcastle United and the holders Liverpool against Wolves. On Sunday, Cardiff City against Leeds United at 2 and that's followed by Man City-Chelsea again at 4.30 and then on Monday, Oxford United against Arsenal. Which games have you got ringed in red? Yeah, Cardiff-Leeds stands out for a few reasons. I remember the the game 21 years ago really clearly. What happened then? Well, Leeds were going there as probably the best Premier League team at the time. It was in the David O'Leary's babies era. Um, And then the actual game was mad. It was Ninian Park in those days, well, all days, was a fairly intense place to go. Um, Sam Herman. Sam Herman. Yeah, (laughs) walking around the pitch during the game. Um, The Cardiff fans doing their... 
Why was he walking around the pitch? No one actually knows. I mean, he was milking. He was just geeing the fans up. Was he leaving? Was he going for an early bath? No, he was literally like you know, like like a mascot would. I see. Yeah, but then the the Cardiff fans were doing their Ayatollah, do the Ayatollah chant, which uh, was you know popular in the day. Um, Okay. Confused. So uh, they were chanting at Sam Haman to do the Ayatollah. So it. Dates back to the 1990s where right. some, they, they got it off some Welsh punk band who had been inspired by the, the funeral of, of Ayatollah Khomeini back right. in 1990. And I think he... Are you reading this off Wikipedia? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm actually looking straight in, at you in the eyes. But it was like a waving your hands above your head sort of movement. Like you're doing a throw-in? Yeah, kind of. Or if you had a big perm, you're fluffing it. I mean, you were fluffing it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I remember going to a game at Cardiff that season and it, they, when the whole ground did it, it right. was quite... It was quite a, quite a sight. That certainly sounds like fun. Are you envisaging a game that's going to be talked about in 20 years' time from this weekend's action? Probably not. Okay. Anyway, it's happening Sunday at 2 o'clock. The Bluebirds are on a seven-game winless run in the championship. Benji, what, what, what are you looking out for? Is um, it Gillingham Leicester? Could it be? Because then I can mention this extraordinary stat about Gillingham, who are the team bottom of the entire football league. And also a side that have scored just seven goals in their 23 league matches this season, but did still manage to knock Brentford out of the Carabao Cup on penalties. Oxford against Arsenal Monday night. Arsenal up against Josh Murphy after facing his twin brother Jacob in that Newcastle clash on Tuesday. That's another game that that was played about 20 years ago and Arsenal won. And I think it was the game Burkamp scored his 100th goal for Arsenal. Um, You're absolutely right, Charlie. Well, I don't know about the Bergkamp thing, but certainly this FA Cup third round 20 years ago, they met at Highbury and Bergkamp scored. It was a 2-0 win. They won the cup that season. Crikey. I'm pretty sure it's 100th because then Henri got his 100th for us about a week Mm. later. Nice. Um, Sheffield Wednesday up against Newcastle, both teams on 13-game unbeaten runs. Uh, Duncan, you see Sheffield Wednesday quite a lot, I imagine, uh, with your Wickham currently being in Twice a season, yeah. Yeah. Twice a season, sorry. Yeah. Well, that's more regularly than I suspect the rest of us. Yeah, true. Um, They've had a strange season Wednesday this year. They started really well. They were playing some really good stuff. They're they're very reliant on Barry Bannon, who hadn't missed a game for years. He's still going. Yeah. And he's brilliant. And in League One, he's he's like a class above, but he's recently picked up a few injuries and they've they've sort of stumbled a bit. Um, And Plymouth and uh, Ipswich have sort of edged a bit ahead of them. So they're still probably favourites to go up, but... To, to Benji's point a little while ago, for Sheffield Wednesday, this is where the FA Cup, I think, has struggled a bit recently. So I think Sheffield Wednesday will put out a weakened team because they're, huh. more, they're more concentrating on getting out of League One back mm. to the Championship. So, you know, go back 20, 30 years and a, a League One team home to a team in the, in the top four of the, of the top flight, would be that would be massive. And I'm not sure whether it will be as massive as it, as it could be. I'd right. like to see a five-a-side team of... Mercurial, diminutive midfielders who drop down the divisions later in their career. Mm-hmm. Think about Barry Bannon here, and are exceptional. Because I'm also thinking of Wes Houlihan mm-hmm. at Cambridge. That's interesting. I, I I must admit I'm a bit disappointed that the non-league clubs in the third round aren't getting a, a, a taste of the TV action. Boreham Wood are hosting Accrington Stanley, which somehow has failed to trouble the schedules. <laughs> also, a celebrity streaming contents Wrexham will be making the trip to Championship side Coventry City. Are they not on telly, Wrexham? 
No. They're I like, mean, there will be. I mean, it's yeah, not like yeah, they're yeah. short of TV. But Wrexham is the sexiest club around these days, surely. Are they? Yeah. Do you no. not? Are you not? You don't like I think that. I gave it a go. Come on, bar humbug, James. That's, no, it's good. That's serious. I don't think it is. What? I think they've got the, one of the more remarkable stories, and they made it yeah. all about. These two guys who were famous anyway. I don't want to know about that. I want to know about the whole. I think they mixed it up quite well. Did they? Because the first half it. hour, it was all about. No, later episodes, they they really focus on you know some really obscure people. All oh, the right, they and... finally get round to actually speaking to the people from the club, do they? That's yeah. nice. I <laughs> I fell for it by the end of it. I was just like, yeah, go Rex. Right. I'm a busy guy, and there's a lot of great TV. Out. There Paul, is a lot. Paul Mullen. I've I've starred him on Footmob because I need to see what he's up to. So. He's great fun, and he with his um, anti-Tory boots. Mm. Yeah, I think they've got lots of... Why are they not on telly? Sex Bill I think, but City. that's the other thing with the FA Cup. I think if it was Rex and V Coventry, I think it almost certainly would have been on TV, but the fact it's they're away kind of lessens the... Where are they at, Quinton Stanley? Who are they? Or is that Who Bore, are they? Or is that Boreham Wood? Uh, they are going to be at Boreham Wood. Boreham Wood? Isn't there like a nuclear bunker near there There's as a well? TV studio at Boreham Wood. Okay. So it's, it's like around the 15 to 1. That was made at Boreham Wood. So they're literally the, around the corner. and They couldn't take the TV. They're the real-life Walford town. Yes, indeed they are. Indeed they are. Oh, producer Charlie's just come up with another non-league team. Hello to you, Chesterfield. You're at home to West Brom. But you knew that anyway. Rich FA Cup history, Chesterfield. Sean the Dyche. Sean Dyche yeah. penalty against Middlesbrough. The three-all in that 97 semi-final. All right. Since we're doing what history, Charlie, with your, your galaxy memory, do you remember when Sheffield Wednesday met Newcastle in the Premier League in Bobby Robson's first game in charge? Yes, I do. It was 8 nil, wasn't it, or something mad. And Shearer got five, I think, in that game. Wow. In Oct- October 99, September 99, that sort of period. I, d- I don't have a date, but you do. I mean, those, those facts, are, they're all absolutely spot on. Remarkable. Remarkable stuff. Well, that is the FA Cup third round. Looking forward to seeing what happens. And, of course, on Monday we'll be here to talk about the action that's taken place by then. That wraps it up for today's show, though. Many thanks to Duncan, to Benji, and to Charlie. And pretty Sir Charlie, a new listener. Listener Sunday night, if you fancy a bit of Syria, just to let you know that Italy's top flight has returned. Wednesday, all 20 teams were in action. There were some pretty significant results as well. And we'll be doing a bit of Milan-Roma Sunday night live with uh, James Horn Castle. But uh, if you're not up for that, then see you here on Monday. And make sure whatever you're up to, you have a great weekend. We'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.